Please support the Historian's Podcast. The link to our GoFundMe campaign is on our website, bobcudmore.com. This is Bruce Deerstein. I'm in Gilwood, and I appreciate Bob interviewing me today. It's always a pleasure and honor to be on your show, Bob. And your show is a real service to the state and the cause of state and local history. So thank you. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. One topic we want to discuss with Bruce uh, today uh, is an article he wrote for New York Almanac about celebrating the anniversary of the creation of the state of New York. I hate to ask you, when is the anniversary? Well, it's April 20th. That was the date in 1777 when the uh, ad hoc uh, Patriot Convention which had assembled back in uh, 1776, finished the work on the first state constitution at uh, Kingston. One of the reasons this is such an important holiday is that if you had looked at New York just a few months earlier, you would have said, we're not going to make it. (laughs) The, The British hold New York City, they're closing in from Canada, uh, they're going to invade us, and we're just the uh, the, the new uh, colony in the process of becoming a state is not going to make it, but, but we did. It was a kind of a rushed, improbable affair. The convention uh, elected in 1776 fled from New York City to White Plains to Fishkill and then to Kingston uh, to keep ahead of the British, and voted to have New York endorse the Declaration of Independence. We joined the independence movement. Uh, But there was no model for creating a state or a state uh, constitution. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you think about it, there was no such thing as a state. There were colonies and provinces, and there were nations or nation states, such as Great Britain, uh, but there were no states. And other states or states in the process of becoming, uh, coming into existence, were still writing their constitutions. The Articles of Confederation, uh, which wouldn't have been much of a model anyway, uh, but still hadn't been written, that appeared in the fall of 1777. And of course, the U.S. Constitution was 10 years in in advance. So, uh, It was a rushed, improbable affair in the sense that the convention, the group doing the work, was kind of on the run. Uh, They didn't have much to draw on. Uh, They did have the uh, so-called British Constitution, which is actually an unwritten uh, series of precedents and documents and so on, Mm -hmm. and the Magna Carta, and they were very... Uh, well-educated. They had, uh, they knew a lot about uh, European philosophers, the natural right philosophy, and they had their own colonial experience to to draw on. All of that together is is not very, not very much. And yet they brought a document together, which, uh, by the way, uh, is still in existence and exists in the New York State Archives in, in Albany. And if you look at it, if you see it, which happens once in a while, because once in a while the the archives gets it out for exhibit, it's a a handwritten document, of course, and there are cross-outs and interlinear uh, substitution of words. 
I write down the document itself. They had to work so fast uh, that in the end they didn't have time to get a clean copy. There's a perfectly clean copy uh, before sending it off to the printer uh, for printing. The, the document itself is is there. It's it's an interesting thing to see. Uh, you know, if not only uh, because it's still in existence, but because of the of the cross-outs and the, the quick uh, quick editing. It's really early on, isn't it? I mean, uh, they uh, adopted this April 20th, 1777. That's that's before the Battle of Saratoga, which was a, you know, a key event in uh, the like safety in uh, New York State. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Yes, yes, that's uh, that's true. They they adopted on April twentieth. Uh, they took a day off on April twenty first, but on April twenty second, the uh, secretary of the of the convention uh, got up on a barrel outside of the uh, courthouse where they'd done the work, and and read it aloud to the citizens of of, of uh, Kingston, uh, thereby kind of proclaiming the state. For all the world to hear, in a sense, in, into existence. But uh, you, you're you're abs- you're absolutely right. New York State had a what I, what I call a miracle year in 1777. We joined the cause for, for independence. Uh, we endorsed the Declaration of Independence. And and by the way, the New York State Constitution that we're talking about, the 1777 document has the Declaration of Independence as a prelude, as a kind of a, a justification for um, uh, for what we were doing. But even more miraculously, at least I think, they managed to hold elections, uh, elect a legislature, elect a governor, who happened to be George Clinton, uh, the state's longest tenured governor, uh, by the way, though not widely remembered today and sometimes confused with DeWitt Clinton. Right. And they were delayed in getting started because Clinton was fighting the British. And he had to wait till there was a lull in the fighting. He came into Kingston, uh, gave his uh, inaugural address. Uh, the legislature got to work. And then came, uh, kind of quickly, uh, the... Uh, enemy coming down is just as you say from Canada and being stopped at Saratoga which turns out to be a the turning point not only for New York but for the revolution and coming up from the HUD up the Hudson the day before Saratoga uh, enemy forces came into Kingston uh, burned much of the town and the government again might have just given up and said, "Well, this is too tough. We can't. We can't do this." But they they didn't. They ran to Poughkeepsie and, <laughs> right. and started started <clears throat> over. And just a little earlier, was invasion mm-hmm. from the west uh, stopped at the Battle of Ritzkany and a skirmish to the east, uh, the Battle of Bennington. So New York, which really didn't exist uh, in 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 early 1777 came together, did this marvelous document, established a government, held elections, got going, uh, had to to clear town, and defeated uh, the enemies from from three directions. So it's quite a a miraculous and dramatic story. 
by the end of 1777, it was clear New York was, was here to stay. The uh, Constitution, which they adopted, you, you say something to the effect that was good, but it was not a, a perfect uh, document. For example, slavery is still in there. That's true. The document itself is only about uh, 5,000 words. And, and by the way, if you go, if you just Google New York State Constitution 1777, go to the the Avalon Project at the uh, law school at Yale, you can read it there, not as it was written in, in script, but as it's uh, just typed out. So you can read it there for yourself. But, again, just, just as you say, it had some things that it did not deal with. So uh, John Jay who was kind of the lead writer, and others, uh, wanted to use it to get rid of slavery. Now, this is, this is unusual because Jay himself uh, was a slaveholder, and later, as governor, uh, he actually signed a law to abolish slavery. But there was, there was some debate in the, um, in, in the meetings about this, and they, they couldn't come to an agreement on it. They couldn't afford... Uh, to wait any longer, and so they just left it out. Later, uh, dealt with by uh, by statute uh, in 1804, and there are other things as well that kind of jump out to modern uh, readers. At least, women were not given the right to vote. Uh, there were pretty severe restrictions on uh, property restrictions and such on uh, men's voting. There was no Bill of Rights, though so freedom of uh, uh, religion was was guaranteed. Bill of Rights was added later by uh, legislation. I uh, didn't say much about the courts. The legislature had to flesh that out. And there were a couple of kind of awkward uh, things in it. One was something called a Council of Revision, uh, made up of the governor, the chancellor, and Supreme Court justice, judges which had the power to review and approve or veto laws. So while they wrote in a powerful governor, they didn't give the governor as much power as the governor has today because they were uh, leery about giving executives too much power, mm-hmm. having in mind the, uh, the King of England, who they certainly did not want to emulate uh, here in New York. And there was also a council of appointment which consisted of kind of an odd thing. The governor and four senators chosen by the assembly that had to review and approve any gubernatorial uh, nominations or appointments to uh, state offices. They established a two-house legislature, assembly and senate, much as they are today, one, one bigger than the other, uh, one smaller in those days because of the uh, way the uh, restrictions were set on voting, the Senate was meant to be more of an elite, uh, deliberative, objective body, the Assembly closer to the people, in some ways not terribly dissimilar from what, uh, what we have uh, from what we have today. But if, if you look at this, again, something that's always struck me as miraculous. It stayed mostly intact until 1821. There were no major revisions until 1821. Really? Hmm. Right. And and and, and even then, uh, they did things like they got rid of the council revision, the council appointment, and some other things. But even then, they did not 
make major changes to the structure of government. And, and in the meantime, of course, the U.S. Constitution, giving birth to the United States, had come into being in 1787. And if you, if you lay the New York State Constitution side by side with the U.S. Constitution, maybe it's true of some other states as well, I, I, don't, I don't know, but you'll see a commonality of ideas and even a commonality of wording. And that's in part because there was a fellow here in New York named Governor Morris, who was one of the major writers of the New York document. He later went to Pennsylvania and was a delegate and uh, from Pennsylvania to the, the uh, U.S. Constitutional Convention. And he wrote some parts of both documents. So once again, it's sort of a... It's sort of a prelude to New York leading and influencing uh, the nation. Of course, that won't come as any surprise to, to you or any of your, your listeners. Uh, New York was always a, a leader, uh, and sometimes it gets credit for it. I think sometimes uh, not so much. One of the reasons I one of the reasons I keep emphasizing this and think it should be April 20th should be a Maybe not a state holiday, but a, a time for commemoration, uh, uh, op-ed pieces, discussions in the mm-hmm. media, uh, uh, hopefully activities in the schools, uh, is that this isn't a widely known story. This, it's a great story, I think. Mm-hmm. Not perfect by any means, but a great story. Most people most people don't know it. They know, I think probably most people know, there was a battle at Saratoga. October 17, 1777, uh, Patriot Force defeated the British, the turning point of the revolution, as it turned out. But that's about all people all people know about it. And it's kind of a, a small example of the fact that most New Yorkers, including kids going through our public schools, they don't know much about the history of their, of their own state. Mm-hmm. So this would draw attention to it. And in fact, it's... If it's April 20th, that would be near to a holiday they observe in Massachusetts, right? Called Patriots Day. It's kind of a is that kind of a similar thing? Uh, that's a good point. Uh, it, sort of uh, Patriots Day, <laughs> which, which is April 19th, happens to be a day earlier. Uh, commemorates the battles of Lexington and Concord uh, in 1775. So in a way, that's where uh, that's where the revolution began, or at least one of the places where it began. Of course, those events rightly are are famous. Uh, the British coming out of uh, Boston to try to capture some Patriot arms, which the, they thought the Patriots had secreted in that part of Massachusetts, which they did, but. Thanks to Paul Revere and others, they got word in advance and moved those arms, so British couldn't get them. And British come up to Lexington and get attacked, skirmish, go on to Concord, uh, more uh, bigger uh, uh, Patriot groups assembled there, and they go all the way back to Boston, skirmishing with Patriots uh, as they go. Yes, I think Massachusetts has been celebrating this since uh, uh, the 1890s. And not, not many states, I'm not sure there are any other states, really, 
celebrate their own birthday. There, there may be some. I, I should re- research that, and I haven't had a chance to. But I think New York should, in part because our role in the revolution, which is absolutely central and critical, is overshadowed by the stories that the other states tell about their own history. Massachusetts, rightly so. Virginia, rightly so. New York kind of gets left out of the story or it's in the shadows, and that that really shouldn't be. Hmm. Also, um, and this kind of backs you up some in the story you've been telling us, Bruce, Bruce Deerstein is with us talking about the anniversary of the state of New York, which he says we should observe on April 20th. Um, What is this about John Jay? You want to draw more attention. He worked on this Constitution, uh, but he was otherwise prominent in American history, but is not maybe as well-remembered as, uh, I don't know, Thomas Jefferson or George Washington. Yeah, that's that's another uh, useful, uh, useful point. John Jay was just a lawyer in New York City when all of this began, a young young attorney, and got caught up in the Patriot cause. And for a while thought we could reconcile with Britain. He actually wrote some things to that effect, then realized we couldn't and became a leader of the Patriot cause in New York. And as the this group of uh, document writers kind of moved up the Hudson and began to gel. They didn't necessarily have anybody leading them. They had a uh, they had a chairman or a convener, but Jay stepped forward and became their uh, their intellectual leader, if you if you will. And he, it is Jay more than anyone else, more than Governor Morris or anyone else, who forged the document, the 1777 Constitution. It's his words more than anybody else's words that are in there. And he is the one who forged a, a compromise. A lot of this is compromise and consensus, which is another good reason to, to um, celebrate it because we don't have enough of that today in our politics. Uh, Jay, got, Jay got it done and then went off and was, was um, helping to organize the military opposition for a while and then emerged uh, quickly as the first chief judge of the state, later in 1777, uh, went on to be the first chief justice of the United States, uh, went on from that to negotiate with somewhat of a controversial treaty with the British in the 1790s, though he was still chief justice, not secretary of state, uh, sometimes called the, the Jay Treaty, and then came back to New York and was elected governor. So he's our mm-hmm. he's our second governor, uh, and he was also instrumental with, uh, uh, with with Alexander Hamilton and others in getting the U.S. Constitution ratified in New York. He's one of the three writers of the so-called Federalist Papers, uh, Hamilton and Madison being the other two, which kind of convinced everybody. Uh, that we needed a a constitution. But if you were to ask most people today, again, well, who's John Jay? They wouldn't they wouldn't know. They might know there's a uh, there's a John Jay College of uh, of uh, law school in New York City, which there is, and a, and a good one. Uh, and he is um, 
represented prominently in the uh, Society for the History of New York Courts. Otherwise, he's been he's kind of been forgotten. Mm-hmm. And I think he deserves better than that because he was more influential uh, than he's uh, let them, than he's led on to be in most history books. What will it take to have April twentieth become New York State's birthday? I mean, you need the governor to, to proclaim it, the legislature to pass uh, a bill on it. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I think there's maybe there are two answers to that. One is. Uh, to just proceed incrementally. Uh, so, for instance, if historians were, were, were so inclined, interested, they could write op-eds for newspapers, uh, go on uh, talk shows, uh, get editorial, editorial writers, editors, newspapers to write things, uh, uh, go, on, go on social media, uh, get the uh, local schools to, to teach something uh, about it. And there is build to build interest in it, in part because it's worth celebrating just on its own, in part mm-hmm. because it would help people get more interested in New York history, and in part because I think it shows what a determined people could do, even when they weren't united going in, uh, by coming to a consensus and uh, uh, pulling together. What they can do, you know, built arguably the uh, nation's historically most important uh, state. So, I mean, that might be step one. Step two, I think, a long ways off, uh, probably, but maybe not. I mean, maybe I should take that back and say, I hope it happens soon. Uh, mm-hmm. The legislature could act. I mean, the governor could act through just proclamation saying, I urge New Yorkers to celebrate this day, but the, the legislature could pass legislation as it did many years ago, uh, to designate November as New York State History Month. And now, uh, a couple of years ago, that was changed to October. So there is in law something which says, uh, now it says October shall be designated New York State History Month. Time to recognize local historians, activities in the schools, and so on. So eventually, maybe something along those lines. Mm talking with uh, Bruce uh, Deerstein, a historian, lives in uh, Gilderland. He was uh, formerly on the staff of the Office of State History and the State Archives. He also is an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland. If I could, we we have a few minutes here. Uh, You're involved in other projects. I think the last time you were on the podcast, you talked about your book, The Spirit of New York, defining events in the Empire State history. Uh, that book has been revised and has been uh, published again by uh, SUNY Press? Yes, yes. Uh, th- thank you thank you for, for mentioning that. Yes, yes, it has. Uh, the Spirit of New York, Defining Events in uh, the Empire State's History, first published in 2015, just uh, published in second edition about one month ago with four new chapters on recent events in New York history, uh, the emergency landing of a passenger plane on the Hudson in 2009, the Occupy Wall Street protest 2011, Superstorm Sandy in 2012, and perhaps most interesting, at least it was to me doing research and writing it, uh, the history behind the musical Hamilton. So. Uh-huh. 
there are now 19 chapters in the book, but 20 stories in to- told, uh, 20 events all told, because one chapter has two events. And these are these are just uh, uh, interesting stories uh, from New York State history. And again, the idea here is to popularize New York history, get more people interested in it. You've been writing some uh, articles recently about uh, historical precedents uh, and parallels in New York history. Uh, for example, one of the titles, New York History Offers Lessons for Governor Hochul. Well, what kind of lessons? Well, I've actually been doing this for, for quite, quite a while. I don't know if I do it well or, or not. But one of the things I realized, because uh, I spent almost all my life here in New York uh, and, and studied its history, taught its history, written about its history, is how often something comes up and we debate it. It's a public issue. Or, or a governor does something either controversial or supposedly precedent-setting, and you look back and you can say, well, no, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound so precedent-setting. Back some time ago, uh, uh, governors did the same thing. The state went through uh, the, the, same, the same thing. So... Uh, yes, I've written for the Times Union and, and other outlets. Most recently, uh, I've written a couple things about our current governor, Kathy Hochul, who, by the way, I think is doing a, an excellent job and, and is following the president of some of New York's uh, uh, very, very strongest uh, 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 governors. And the first thing I wrote about was her predecessor, Martin Glynn, who came in when William Salzer was impeached in 1913, like a Democrat, uh, like her, uh, took some very decisive acts, including the first direct uh, primary uh, and uh, workman's compensation, uh, cut budget, cut his own budget, uh, seemed to me did just about everything right, and then got decisively defeated in the next in the next election mm. by uh, Charles Whitman. So that I wrote back when she first became governor. That seems to be something that's not likely to repeat itself this year. But uh, she's also uh, talked about uh, uh, having a rainy day fund, saving the state some money, putting aside uh, money for reserve. Uh, that's been tried before, sometimes successfully and sometimes not. And Perhaps the thing I've written most extensively about is ethics reform. She has a proposal to reform the Joint Committee on Public Ethics. Well, there have been lots of committees, commissions, and initiatives by previous governors to try that. Usually it works for a while, and then after a while, you know, things kind of go back to the way to the way they were. So, yeah, there, I, there, there are a lot of other things we, we could talk about. Mm-hmm. I know we're just about out of time. But, yes, that's, um, that's one of the things I've been trying to do. And you have a, a new book uh, on a different topic, The Crucible of Public Policy. What is that about? Yes. Uh, the, the, there's another book coming out from SUNY Press in about a month, a month and a half or so, uh, called The Crucible of Public Policy, uh, colon, New York Courts in the Progressive Era. And it is essentially about decisive cases that made it up to the New York State Court of Appeals Arguably, in, in those days, the uh, and I think in these days, 
the uh, uh, nation, the the second, the most important state court in the country, and second only to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court in, in importance. And these involved all kinds of things: uh, uh, rights, uh, privacy, how far the legislature could go in regulating things, and and so on. So yes, that should be out in in a little while. Uh, I made it as uh, popular as I could in the sense of trying to bring in people talking about the issues. It is, however, unlike the spirit of New York, more Mm -hmm. of a legal and constitutional history. Bruce uh, Deerstein, who's uh, joined us on the Historians Podcast, uh, lives in Gilderland, formerly on the staff of the Office of State History and the State Archives, adjunct professor at the University of Maryland. You've been listening to the Historians Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.